going to go to Luke chapter 1 this morning. A couple weeks ago, we started a new series called Believe, walking through the first couple chapters of the book of Luke and looking at the Christmas story and what can we know and believe about Jesus Christ uh, through learning of his birth. And uh, so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, looking at joy, the joy of believing. Um, So maybe you've heard something like this before in our culture. Uh, If you believe in yourself, anything is possible. You heard something like that before or something around that? I feel like that's kind of like the mantra of our culture these days, right? Just believe in yourself. And somewhere in the background is Journey's iconic song just playing, right? Like, don't stop believing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like that's like over and just kind of infused in who we are as Americans. We're told we can go out and live our best lives now. If we just realize all of our potential within ourselves and believe, and after all, she believed she could, and so she did, and all these things, right? Um, If we don't believe in ourselves, who will? And self-care, and self-help, and self-esteem, and every saying and every buzzword centers around this idea that true joy is only found within ourselves, Believing in ourselves, building ourselves up. And eventually we try that, only to find out that we're still unsatisfied. We're still longing for something more. We're still looking for something that lasts beyond the moment, beyond the experience, beyond the circumstance. And eventually we have to just ask ourselves, like, is this even possible? Is it even actually possible to ever experience true, lasting joy in our lives? Well, friends, I assure you that it is. And it won't be found in your achievements, or your gifts, or your abilities, or your parties, or anything that you can do, or say, or make. It only exists well beyond our mortal reach. And God's going to show us that again today in this story from the book of Luke. That joy comes not in believing in myself, but believing in my Savior. True, lasting joy in this life does not come in believing in myself, but believing in Christ, my Savior. So let's take a look at the scriptures this morning. Go to verse 39. It says, In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So we'll just pause there for a moment. First thing I want you to see this morning is that joy of belief can be elusive. Sometimes the joy of belief can be elusive. It starts off in verse 39 with another time marker. We've seen this the last two stories, right? Luke's always kind of keeping us historically grounded here. And he says, in those days, meaning in the days when the angel spoke to Mary. So this is happening right after her encounter with Gabriel, right? And if you remember from last week, it said that Gabriel showed up to talk to Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, right? So we're six months in. And later on in this story, we're going to find out that, uh, that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and she stays for three months, but then leaves before John is born, okay? Now, my, my math was never really great with this kind of thing, even when we were having our own kids, um, but I'm pretty sure that means um, that she has to go to uncle and auntie's house immediately, right? Like, like, as soon as she's done talking to the angel, she's headed 
to Zechariah and Elizabeth. It actually says that she went with haste, right? Meaning that she was intentional about this. She was, she was going on purpose. She had a mission, a, a reason for going to see Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so it says she goes to their house. And I just had to ask myself, like, why, why would she do that? She just got this, like, huge bomb dropped on her from Gabriel. She like, why go to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house? And the scripture doesn't explicitly tell us here, but I think there's several options that make sense given the context of the story. One, I think she could have went because she was in fear. Right? Like, how am I going to tell Joseph about this? What's he going to think? What's he going to say? What will, my, what, what will my family say when I, they start seeing that I'm pregnant? Like, I can't stay here. I've got to get out somewhere else. So maybe she went because of fear. Maybe she went because of doubt. Like, is this for real? <laughs> did an angel really talk to me last night, or did I just have some bad pizza? Like, what, what's going on here? Is, this, is God really doing something in this? He said something about Elizabeth being pregnant, and that was a miracle. So, like, maybe if I can go there and I can see her, maybe that will be confirmation for me that this is actually from the Lord. So maybe she was struggling with some doubt, and she needed that confirmation from Elizabeth. Or maybe it was isolation. Like, who who can I talk to about this? Who can I possibly tell? Who's going to understand what's just happened to me? Maybe, just maybe, Zachariah and Elizabeth will understand because they've been through something similar, it sounds like. And I need some help. I need some community. I need some support in the midst of this craziness. I don't know which one of those it was. But any of those, many people would say, detracts from Luke's picture that he's trying to paint of Mary as this kind of like model believer, full of faith. But I would challenge that it doesn't. I would say what it actually teaches us here is that Mary was human, just like all of us. And that sometimes when you're human, faith is hard. Sometimes belief can be fickle. We believe now and then tomorrow we don't again. Because we're like that. That's kind of our natural state. And so I just have to ask if maybe Mary was just struggling a little bit. Maybe the joy of her belief was just a little bit out of reach when she was trying to sort through what was going on. So... So there I was, sitting in my office one day, waiting to go in and meet with my senior pastor to talk about another complaint that had come up in the church. Um, I was only about a month or two in to my first full-time ministry position as a, as a worship pastor at the time. Half of my band had quit in the first couple months. Um, half of the congregation was mad about the new song choices that were being given, And I was spending half my time not leading worship and putting out fires in all of these areas. Not to mention the previous worship leaders were still members of the church and were lobbying hard to get me fired. Meanwhile, back home, my wife is newly pregnant and super sick. And we're seven hours away from all of our family and all of our friends living in this little farmhouse that was falling apart and bug infested and scrapping to make ends meet because we still hadn't sold our house from where we previously come. And I remember sitting there 
in my office just kind of staring at the wall, being like, God, is this, is this really it? Like, is this what you called us to? And I remember feeling those same feelings. I remember that feeling, those feelings of doubt. Like, did I get it wrong? Did I, did I hear God wrong? I had fear. Like, what if this all falls apart? What if I lose my job and now we have nothing and we're, we're in this place? Like, what do we do with that? Feeling isolated, not knowing who to talk to, not having anybody there to, to share what was going on with that was safe. And I just kept asking myself, did I hear God wrong? Did I, did I miss the boat on this one? Did I make a huge mistake in bringing our family here? I was only a month or two into my first full-time ministry position, and I'd already lost the joy of belief, the joy of ministry. And as I'm sitting there in all of my feelings, my belief was fickle. But thankfully, my God was not. And he reassured me that despite my failings, despite my circumstances, despite all the troubles I was experiencing, that he was present, that he was working, and that the key to belief is that it's not dependent on us. The key to belief is that it's always dependent on Jesus. It has to be. I have to stand on God. I have to stand on his word. Then and only then can I experience the true joy of belief that comes through Christ. Joy is found as I believe in Jesus. I think Mary might have been still wrestling through that joy as she's sorting through what Gabriel said to her. So she goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, and then verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Number two this morning is that the joy of belief can be contagious. The joy of belief can be contagious. So Mary gets to the house and she greets Elizabeth. And as soon as Elizabeth hears her voice, it says the baby leaped in her womb. That is a wild sentence, right? Like, like I've never heard anyone else describe a baby leaping in the womb. Like something crazy just happened. Now, Elizabeth is about six months pregnant again with John. And we know back from verse 15 that he is already filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, right? That's part of his deal. And he also has this special calling on his life to be the forerunner, to be the one who's going to announce to everyone that, hey, this is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And so obviously John's a firstborn because he's an overachiever and he's already getting after it right here in the womb, right? Like he's, he's on it from day one. And through the Holy Spirit, he leaps in the womb to announce the presence of the in utero Messiah that's just come in. 
And then I started thinking about this, and I was like, like, if Mary went there that quickly, she might not even know for sure yet that she's pregnant. Like, maybe she hasn't felt anything. Maybe nothing's changed. Like, maybe it's so early that she doesn't even know that it's for sure yet. And John, through the Holy Spirit, is actually the very first person to know and to proclaim that Jesus has been conceived. What a great fulfillment for John as the forerunner. And then it says this, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's a separate filling from John's, right? John's already been filled in the womb. Now Elizabeth gets her own filling of the Holy Spirit, and this is a, a momentary, specific filling for the purpose of revealing to her the presence of the Messiah. And as the Holy Spirit fills her, it says she exclaimed with a loud cry. She is overjoyed by the presence of the Lord in this moment. And she says three things. First, she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, that's actually a Semitic way of saying that she was, Mary, was most blessed. In a culture at this time, a woman's greatness was measured by the greatness of her children. And obviously, there is no child that has ever been or ever will be greater than, John, than Jesus himself that she's getting ready to give birth to. And so Elizabeth proclaims over her that you, because of your child, you are most blessed. Confirming for Mary that what the angel told you is correct. Mary hasn't said a word about it yet. Like Elizabeth just supernaturally knows and confirms Gabriel's words to Mary. And then she goes on to say, How, why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? Elizabeth knew and she believed that Mary's baby was indeed the Messiah. She just knew. And, and he becomes the focus of her response. Mary's not the focus, right? Jesus is the focus. He's the reason that Elizabeth is filled with all this joy. It's important to notice here, too, I think, that in this moment, Elizabeth shows no signs of pride or jealousy or any of that, right? Like, like think about it. This, this was Elizabeth's moment, right? Like she's been barren her whole life. Angel shows up, says, hey, you're going to have this great son. He's going to be, come before the Messiah. Like, and now she's six months pregnant with this miraculous birth. She's waiting the glorious arrival of her awesome son, like, this was her best moment. And then this little teenage girl shows up who doesn't even have a husband. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll do you one better. Messiah. Right? Like, she's like, what's going on? She had every opportunity to say, to be jealous, to be pride, but she, none of that. There's none of that. She is full of joy because the Lord that she loves and worships is in her presence. And then she says to Mary, blessed is she who believed. Which I kind of have to wonder is maybe a slight, like, at Zechariah, right? Like, like Mary believed immediately. It took Zechariah, he got there, but it took him a little bit, right? Mary is praised for her faith. Luke holds her up as this this model of belief for us. And that's awesome, but don't miss 
Elizabeth's emphasis here. Yes, Mary is blessed for her faith, but she is most blessed because of her son. Because of God's son who is in her. And now because of Elizabeth's outflow of joy, Mary's heart's going to be filled with joy as well. Because the joy of belief is contagious. No, Christmas is generally thought to be a pretty joyous season, right? Like that's one of the, the goals, at least, is that we get to that place of joy at Christmas. And at, around our house, we try to spread that joy as much as possible. So the last several years, uh, Courtney's van has been dressed up as Rudolph. Um, looks something like this, right? Um, we got this picture here, and got the antlers and the red nose. And, and for many years, our girls thought this was awesome. But as they've gotten older, that's transitioned to utterly embarrassing, okay? And um, as they would say, that's so cringe, right? Like, they're just like they're out on the Rudolph thing now, okay? But despite their protestations, Courtney regularly has received comments from others, honks, waves, comments about how much joy they get from some antlers and a red nose. Because the joy of Christmas is contagious, But even more so, the joy of Christianity is contagious. Or at least it should be, if we're doing it right. You see, when we genuinely live in the joy of Christ, it flows out of us. It's alluring, it's enticing to others because they see it and they're like, I don't see joy like that anywhere else. I can't find that, I can't get that anywhere else. But in order for that to work, we have to be like Elizabeth. We have to be bold enough to exclaim it loudly with both our lives and with our mouths that our greatest joy is found not in a a season, not in a place, not in presence, not in relationships. It's found in Jesus Christ. And as we share our joy in Christ, it becomes contagious to others around us. Joy is spread as I share Jesus. We have to share Christ. The joy of Christ is what they need. So the joy of belief can be contagious. And then one last thing I wanted to look at in this passage. Look at the response of Mary. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. 
Last thing we see in this passage is the joy of belief can be magnifying. The joy of our belief in Christ can be magnifying to his name. Mary starts off her little song here and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And that that section of scripture right here that we just read is oftentimes called the, the Magnificat. And they get that name from the Latin translation of this first line of Mary's song, the word magnify. And that title emphasizes and characterizes the whole refrain that she's about to give us here. Think about that word magnify for a second. In in church, we oftentimes use it to mean praise or to extol the Lord, which is good, and that's right. But in its more natural sense, magnify means to enlarge, right? To make something bigger in our view. And that's what's happening here. Mary's joy of belief is enlarging her view of God. That she's seen him closer and more clearly and, and better than she ever has before. We should also take note that in the Greek here, the word magnify is in the habitual sense, meaning it's a continuous action. It's not just this one moment where, J- where Mary's magnifying the Lord. Her soul continually magnifies the Lord. She goes on, she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She makes it abundantly clear here that her joy is not in herself. It's not in her circumstances. It's not in the angel showing up. It's not in others' opinions of what's going to happen. It's not in God's gifts that he has blessed her with. It is purely and only in him. Her worship is vertical. And her joy flows from God and from God alone. I think it's also worth noting that she calls him here God, my Savior. Once again, Mary's confessing her own need for a Savior. She needs salvation just like us. She needs the grace of God to cover her sins just like us. And then she says this, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now, humble estate there could mean like reference to her social status. She did come from humble means there in uh, Nazareth. But connected to the previous thought, this seems to be a continuous line of thought here, right? Like, she's connecting it to her need for a Savior, meaning that she is spiritually humble. She is destitute. She is in need of help from the Lord as she confesses her sins. She is centering her praise and her worship on the greatest blessing that any of us can ever receive, and that is the fact that God came down to save us in a baby. This lays at the heart of the gospel that we believe and celebrate and preach. That yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are in rebellion against God. Yes, we deserve his wrath and his punishment, every one of us. And yet, because he loved us so much, he came down to earth himself to be born as a baby in a manger to a virgin girl and then to live a perfect and sinless life and to go to the cross And sacrifice that life for us. Jesus stood in our place and he took the death and the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And he put it on himself and he went into the grave. And three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God. And giving us a chance to believe. That if we'll turn from our sin and believe in Jesus 
that he will be our Savior too. And friends, what Mary's song teaches us is that if Jesus never did another thing for us, if that's all he ever did was just to die for us and save us from our sins, that would be enough for us to magnify the Lord forever. And yet he continues to give us grace. Mary's song continues though. She says, God is mighty and that he is holy and that he is merciful. All things that she knows firsthand. She's experienced God in these ways. She's experienced the strength of his hand and her divine conception. She's experienced the perfection of his holiness and his sovereign plan and fulfillment of all the prophecies through this moment. She's experienced the blessing of his mercy and loving her and saving her and using her for his glory, all who believe in him. See, Mary doesn't just know of the Lord. Mary knows the Lord. And she loves the Lord. And she believes the Lord. And this is why her joy magnifies his name. And then she, the last part of the song is interesting. She goes into this series of he has statements, which to us sounds like past tense, right? But in the Greek, it's actually in the, in the futuristic aorus tense, which I know sounds like a made-up thing, but it's actually real. Um, and in the Hebrew, it was called the, the prophetic perfect. And what it means is that the prophets would oftentimes speak of the things of the Lord that he was going to do in the future as if they had already happened because they were that certain. Because when God says he's going to do something, it's going to happen. And so Mary kind of serves a little bit in the prophetic sense here in this series of he has statements proclaiming what Christ is going to do as if it's already happened because it is that certain in the lives of his people. She says three things. First, she says he has shown strength. He has shown mercy. Yes, we already covered that. He's shown mercy to the humble, but now he will scatter the proud with his strength and he will bring down the mighty from their thrones, exalting the humble in their place. We see this fulfilled over and over again in Jesus' ministry, in the early church, in the book of Acts, that the first will be last, and the last will be first. This is how Jesus works. Secondly, it says, he has filled the hungry with good things. Mary is referencing both here physical hunger and spiritual hunger. One and the same, right? That he will meet the needs of all who humbly come to him. And ask. But the rich, he will send away empty. And not because they're rich, but because the rich oftentimes are prideful and self sufficient. Because they think they don't need God, that they don't need his help, that they can handle it on their own. Much like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in the Gospels and turned and went away because he valued his wealth more than he valued the Savior. Thirdly, she says, he has helped his servant Israel. Not the, not the self-righteous, fake religious Israel who worship themselves and their traditions more than they worship God. Not that. 
but the, the true Israel, the believing Israel, those who had their faith in God, not in their religion. And through extension, that goes to all today, all who believe in Jesus Christ and are part of his family. She says, he has helped his servant in remembrance of his mercy. See, friends, we have to always remember that God is both perfectly just and perfectly merciful at the exact same time. He will justly punish sin in order to uphold his holiness. That is coming one day. But his greater desire towards his children towards us, is not justice, it is mercy. To remember them in mercy as they turn and as they believe in Him. And she says He will do this just as He spoke to Abraham all those years ago. Anchoring all of this once again in God's faithfulness. That God does not change. That he calls us and he saves us through his son. And he is forever and for always a glorious God who helps his people. He did it then, he does it now. And so we can magnify his name above all else. Joy grows as I magnify as I magnify Jesus. See, joy comes not in believing in myself, but in believing in my Savior. Can we just stop? Can we just stop believing the lie that we're going to find joy in ourselves? We keep running back to that well over and over again, and it is dry. And it will not thirst, it will not quench your thirst. For joy. It will not. Joy is not found in ourselves. It's not found in our family. It's not found in our gifts. It's not found in our traditions or our activities or anything else other than Jesus. He's the only one who can give us lasting joy as we believe in Him. as he fills us with his joy we get the privilege of joining Mary in magnifying his name so we want to end by doing that together today stand with me, let's pray Heavenly Father thank you again for blessing us for giving us your son for giving us this season to remember and to celebrate his glorious birth. But Father, as we come to you, as we sit under your word this morning, Lord, may we find our greatest joy in Christ. Not in all the other things, but in Christ and his coming to earth to redeem us. Lord, there is nothing in all of creation that is greater than you. Nothing else can fill us with eternal joy. It's you. It's only you. So we love you. We worship you. We magnify you today.
glorious name of Jesus Christ.